welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most interesting topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 177th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 632nd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, July 9th, 2020. I'm your host, Andy Bottoms. And let's start this week, uh, this edition, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Martin takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. Well, in a week that was short on news particularly of the good variety it feels like the only way to go here is with christian lander arriving on campus uh he posted something on twitter uh that he had arrived on july 5th and uh shortly thereafter on the 8th the picture was posted of him and cliff marshall in the weight room wearing masks and ready to go uh, as everybody is is looking forward to christian's time in bloomington one of the big areas of um focus or or at least discussion has been his physical readiness to be able to play uh, in the Big Ten and the rigors of that. So seeing him uh, immediately get to work with uh, Coach Marshall is a is a good thing, although I will admit that he he looked like uh, he was a little more uh, defined physically maybe than, than we might have expected. So I think that's a good sign and uh, excited to see him in Bloomington, really the last piece of the recruiting class to get there. And um, again, everybody proceeding uh, as if everything will will go well and we'll be able to have basketball at some point over the course of the season. But uh, good to have him there. Good to see him wearing a mask and good to see him already working with the uh, the strength team there and uh, looking forward to seeing him on the court. With that, let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. He remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar. Heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your collar. Play hard, but remember, fake hustle is a crime. He's the coach and it's Tonsoni time. Coach, it's Tonsoni time. What's on your mind this week? Well, Andy, I'm going to piggyback on on your um, banner moment about Christian Lander. I, I guarantee that the, the guys in the basketball program are glad to be back. I, I know that uh, this week and today there's there's a lot of news, but I'm going to focus on what I think is the positive. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get back in the gym yesterday with our high school guys, and it was basketball, as you know it, with protocols. I mean, it was a little weird the way it was, but everyone was excited about being in the gym. So, to, to the Indiana fans out there, I guarantee Christian Lander and Trace Jackson Davis, who we're going to talk about tonight, and and all of the other guys are back and working in the weight room, and 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 they're they're in a process again that they're used to, and there was a lot of joy in in our gymnasium, and I'm sure there's a lot of joy uh, in the Indiana uh, locker room uh, as they can be now uh, with all the protocols of getting back to work because basketball players, yes, they're they're college students. Uh, and academics are part of it, but they're basketball players, and, and this is what they like to do. And having the ability to get back uh, is important uh, for the basketball season. It's also important for the young men and for the coaches. Uh, coaches like to coach their players, and so getting everyone back on campus is a big thing at this point, especially in uh, the situation with the pandemic uh, that we all have to deal with. But let, let's hope that they're uh, gaining strength, gaining some uh, team chemistry, and moving forward. And I shared this uh, in our community. I shared this in 
on Twitter is, I stole this from somebody, it's not my own credit, but win the weight. This is typically the offseason, and so uh, let's approach it as talking about Indiana basketball, getting excited about Indiana basketball, and having a belief that Indiana basketball will be back. We just don't know when. Uh, hopefully it's on time. Maybe it's January. Maybe it's even later than that. But Indiana basketball will be back, and this community and this group and these shows will keep us all together and kind of keep us moving forward uh, while we get some bad news here and there. Uh, but it is Indiana basketball. It is the off season. We're going to have fun talking Trace Jackson Davis tonight and, and what he did as a freshman and what he's going to do as a sophomore. So win the weight uh, and try to find some level of patience. Uh, but Indiana's back at work, and I think that's a good thing. Coach, I like the optimism. Uh, save a little bit. We're probably going to need it for some other segments of things we've got to talk about tonight. So sprinkle it That's in. That's all as, I got. Sprinkle it in as needed as we go. Uh, and to my right, he is the man who recently petitioned the Board of Trustees to institute an official shot doctor position within the basketball program that is independent from the head coach, reports directly to the statue of Herman B. Wells, and includes private jet travel to and from San Diego. And he wants to be hired for it, of course. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle he hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, is what is your rant on the last week in IU basketball? Well, I think we all know what news I'm really excited about, and uh, it's that the Maui Invitational is still planning to happen at this late date. So those reservations are still not wasted for me. Um, but no, I mean, you know, obviously that could change next week. Given You do have a certain castaway vibe to your look right I, now, right? which may be concerning you for your trip to Maui, but that's neither. What here do you there. think I'm going for? I'm just going to find a volleyball and put a face on it at some point, And that will be my traveling. Campaign. Uh, so yeah, I mean, they're, they're full steam ahead with, with that. And, and who knows that could change next week. We don't know, but it was finally some good news that somebody is planning to do something uh, that is maybe a little bit outside the norm. Uh, you know, right now it seems like everybody's shutting down and, and, and we'll talk about this, but the, you know, there's no non-conference in the big 10 for football this year and for fall sports, all the fall sports. So the fact that somebody is optimistic and given the situation in Hawaii right now, there's a reason to be optimistic. Uh, so that made me happy. And then of course, seeing, you know, as you guys mentioned, uh, Christian Lander on campus working out and, and then all his teammates reacting to the fact that he's there. Uh, awesome. Just great to see. So I, I just think that uh, there are some positives in a week that uh, hasn't had a lot of them. There are some things that stood out. I, you may still go to Maui and, and Christian Lander's on campus working out, getting ready to play. All right. Well, here's what we're going to talk about this week. We do have some Big Ten specific and, and college hoops headlines that we'll spend uh, the majority of this uh, first segment talking about uh, player preview series continues and kind of concludes, at least for the returnees with Trace Jackson Davis tonight. And then we'll hit your questions in our final segment, as we always do. All that coming up this week on Assembly Call Radio. And before we get to that, a few quick announcements. Uh, please continue to support our friends at Home Field. You can go to homefieldapparel.com and use the code ASSEMBLY20 to get 20% off your purchase. Uh, exciting news from the, our friends at Home Field today. Uh, they rolled out a subscription service as they get ready to launch. Uh, I think it's at least 15 uh, new schools over the next 15 Saturdays. Uh, so they've rolled out a subscription plan where you can sign up. And I think it's $20 a shirt. You'll get a, uh, a design from each of the schools they do. There's also an every other week option. Um, I've not yet 
mentioned this to my wife. Uh, I, I suggest many of you uh, do do the same, but uh, good, a cool service to sign up for. I think they've got a lot of big things planned. Sounds like they've got a lot of Power 5 schools. And you can even go on and uh, write down schools that you do not want to receive, uh, which for me would probably be anybody in the Big Ten not I, that's not IU. And otherwise, I could probably make my peace with uh, with most others outside of you know Kentucky or something like that. But uh, anyway, so go check out what they've got going on at homefieldapparel.com. So with that, guys, uh, you know, the big headline came out today uh, was that the Big Ten, Ryan, as you mentioned, canceled all fall non-conference games. Um, came out pretty, or, you know, only the Ivy League came out earlier, and that was really that they're canceling uh, all sports until 2020 or until 2021, rather. But the Big Ten uh, came out, talked about that. The uh, Kevin Warren, the commissioner, was on the Big Ten Network, I thought did a good interview uh, with uh, Mike Hall and, and talk through some of their rationale for why they wanted to release it now um, and just their general thought process on on why they're doing it. A lot of it is scheduling and being able to control a lot of the protocols by introducing other schools that you're playing. The thought is you're introducing whatever thing whatever things they do or do not have uh, into your league. So they think that by, um, you know, you know, limiting it to the Big Ten, potentially expanding the schedule to about ten conference games is what it sounded like the the proposal would be. That gives them some schedule flexibility and allows them to probably push things a little bit down the road uh, as they go through and try to figure that out operationally and how they would do that. Um, so, Ryan, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. I mean, I think there've been rumblings of this, so I don't know that it's it's fair to ask whether it was a surprise. Uh, I guess maybe the the better question is what your reaction was to it. Is it a feasible plan to potentially save the season or is it just the gradual chipping away of things until eventually there's nothing left? Well, here's the problem in a vacuum of NCAA leadership, which there has not been much NCAA leadership on this. There really hasn't. If you go back to when this first happened, the conferences themselves were the ones who decided to shut down conference tournaments. The NCAA did not. Now they were consulting with the NCAA. In this respect, the NCAA has not put in protocols specific to each team and say, you know, they've given guidelines, but they haven't said you need to do this. This is what everybody has to do. Each conference has done that separately. And in some cases, each school has done it, you know, has enforced it even, even enforced even harsher protocols than the conferences are suggesting. The problem comes when two teams are facing each other from other conferences. Let's say Indiana has to travel somewhere. And they go on campus, and this is for any sport, not just football, which football is the big one everyone's concerned about. But let's say they go to, you know, I don't know, Ball State, and now they go to a campus that doesn't have the same protocols as their campus. It's maybe they don't feel it's not, maybe they feel it's not as safe. Maybe they feel like if Ball State goes to Indiana, Ball State, you know, isn't used to the Indiana protocols and doesn't follow them as, as closely. It creates this, this situation where each conference has their own protocols. Well, now you're mingling those conferences and maybe people aren't following them. And maybe one conference that is far more stringent feels like the other conference isn't living up to its end of the bargain and is risking the health of the student athletes. That's the reason for this. Now, they may, as, as you said, they may increase the number of games 
uh, in conference. They may have teams playing each other twice. I mean, this is going to be a weird season. We may see that. I mean, there's a chance that, you know, out in the Pac-12, which is I was texting with sources today or saying the Pac-12 is going to be next in this. The ACC is likely to follow. I mean, this is a domino thing and this is going to happen. There may be a chance that teams like Florida and Florida State will wind up continuing to play if those protocols line up because it's not traveling. It's not a big distance. They can take a bus to the game. So some rivalry games may be kept. But in general, it looks like they're going only conference games. And the reason why is the confusion and the fact that the NCAA didn't come out and say, these are the protocols. This is what you have to follow. Everybody has to do it, regardless of your conference, regardless of your school, regardless of logistics. You have to follow these steps. If you want to be more stringent than that, that's fine. But these are the rules. Here they are. They've left that up to the conferences and other conferences don't feel safe mingling. So it's understandable. It's not just about travel. It's about the mingling of the conferences. Yeah, and so much of the the financial pieces of this underscore it really on on all sides. People want to play because of the financial impact of of being able to have games, have them on TV, and those kinds of things. The flip side of that is the the finances for these smaller schools are at risk for a number of reasons. It's one terrible. Is, yeah, one is you know they lose out on the money on these buy games. That's a big one that that really may, is a huge hit to most of these athletic departments. And then the other part of that is when you talk about following protocols. I mean. The frequency of testing and some of the things that these schools can afford to do and what the cost of those things are is already burdensome and may already lead to them not being able to to if the Big Ten sets a standard that's at one area, they may not be it may not be feasible for some of these smaller schools from a financial standpoint to be able to even meet those. So it it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy at a, at a certain point. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning that you're right about those mid-major conferences. And now a lot of these contracts with schools say that if you cancel the game, th- those bigger schools still have to pay, but it's a fraction of what they would pay. You know, so it's a couple hundred thousand is, is opposed to something like 1.5 million, you know, I mean, so they do get money, but it's going to be much less. And I think, frankly, I think this is going to end up in court in some w- way, shape or form because those small conferences are going to take this to court and say, Hey, it wasn't our idea to cancel that game. You canceled on us. That it's going to, you know, so, I mean, maybe they can come to a happy medium of finances or maybe they can ask the government, frankly, for a bailout and, 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 and be able to pay some of these schools to keep their athletics. Because let's face it, if athletic departments start collapsing, not only is that bad just for the university and for all those things about, you know, athletic pride and all that stuff. It's a lot of scholarships going away that could help people who otherwise might not go to college. And so you're talking about losing opportunities for kids to go to college if scholarships start disappearing. So there is a practical and real world effect of this, of all of these athletic departments collapsing is, you know, and cutting sports and things of that nature. A lot of kids are missing out on an opportunity for an education and that's real life stuff. So, I mean, you saw Stanford this week cut 11 sports. Stanford is known for producing high quality individuals and high quality athletes, particularly in the Olympic sports. The fact that they just cut 11 sports is a big deal. And, and it's, it's, it's a sign that that's going to happen elsewhere too, big time. So then coach, I kind of, you know, the next question that inevitably comes up is what, if anything, does that mean for, for basketball? It's obviously early to make any determination about that, but as you start to try to read the tea leaves and if the conference is already not comfortable with that, uh, the commissioner even went so far as to say today, you know, I, I, it's all, it's obviously sitting in the back of everybody's mind. Like there may be no football this fall, but he came out and, and did say that, um, what do you think this means, if anything, as we look ahead to what we hope is a basketball season? Well, I, I think it's all about time. 
uh, and, and what's the appropriate time to get started again. Um, th- this thing was shut down to a total zero, um, and to expect it to really come back 100% the way it was in previous years, I think always to me was a little bit of a dream. Uh, th- this is, at least in my opinion, a, a serious health issue. I know there's some disagreement out there whether it is serious or not, but these leagues aren't going to cancel and lose money if they're not getting information that they are interpreting as being serious. Uh, so I think the first decision is is the fall, and then Archie and the staff has to operate as there will be a basketball season because you can't operate with the, with the idea that you're not going to have a season and then not get your players ready and, and those things because if you don't do that and November comes, you're, you're behind the eight ball and then it looks bad. So I think it's all about time. Uh, I don't know that any of us, I'm not in the meeting. Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, is a very impressive person. Uh, I I saw his uh, press conference at the Big Ten tournament uh, when they canceled, and and he talked about student athletes and the health of student athletes. And, and you know, if he's wrong, he still has the student athletes in mind. If he's correct, he has the student athletes in mind. Uh, I appreciate uh, Kevin Warren made a real tough decision to be the first one out um, to do this and is catching some grief. But I think basketball season has a chance. Uh, uh, football, when you're you're playing 11, you're, you got 85 guys uh, on a team, scholarship on a team, a lot more than that. The protocols are different. Um, although this delay is also all the other sports as well. Uh, I think basketball has a chance of, of being played. I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, say starting in November, maybe push back to January, uh, and maybe a conference uh, turn games only in basketball. But uh, they're gonna they're gonna play sports if at, if there's at all any possibility uh, of it being safe in order to make some money. Uh, so I am gonna remain optimistic. This thing has worn me down being a sports fan, and it's it's tiring. Uh, every day, new news, and and then the excitement of getting back in the gym yesterday, followed by a bunch of news yesterday and today about sports shutting down. And Thomas Bryant now has uh, has COVID, and it, it's been a negative wash of news. But uh, Indiana basketball, the basketball, college sports will be back. It's just a matter of timing and, and what's best. Yeah, and what I will say is just knowing the people I know in the just from working in this business, professional sports are going to happen. College sports, I'm not as as convinced. I, I I think the NFL is going to plow through no matter what because of how much money is at stake there, fans or not. There's so many ad deals and and whatever. They're going to plow through and play. If guys get it, uh, you know they're just going to treat it like they're on the disabled list, you know, and, and just plow through and try and get it get you to ignore, you know, that thing. There's going to be a lot of taxi squad guys playing and all that. Baseball is too far along now. Baseball is going to be played. The NBA, the guys are already in the bubble. Uh, guys are going to get it. It's going to happen. They're going to swap guys out. They're going to finish the season. I am not convinced that college sports are going to be willing to put kids in harm's way at the end, particularly because, I mean, let's face it, if you're not allowing kids to opt out and if you don't make kids sign a waiver that says, I know what risks are here if I play, um, that may that may be what it comes to. Uh, there's a lot of money at stake in college football, but it's whether the university presidents have the stomach for putting kids at risk uh, really in the end. And in some schools, they might. In some schools, uh, you could see a thing where an entire conference goes back and one school just opts out. Uh, You could absolutely see that in the fall. 
So we'll see. Um, I think that professional sports are too far along. They will happen no matter what. But I'm 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 yet to be I've yet to see anything that convinces me that college sports. Will. Ryan, do you think too that if it's a money decision to play college sports, that that pushes then the amateurism uh, argument that Absolutely. you're not doing what's best for student athletes that they're really they're really pro athletes just playing at the college level. So you have that to consider too on the college they, landscape. They lose. That if, if it's about they money, lose any, they lose any high ground they had yeah. if they play this year, for sure. And I think that, you know, somebody mentioned this in the chat. I think it's a great point. I think it might have been Ari in the chat mentioned it. This is going to change the landscape of college sports forever because you're having athletic departments cut down and rely so much on just the money sports for prestige now because they're they're cutting sports out. I think that those a lot of those sports that get cut will come back at some of those schools as they build up a war chest of money. But for now, those athletes that play football, play basketball, whatever, have enormous power at those universities. And you've seen some of them start to use it for social justice issues and things like that. I think you're going to start to use the And they start, they're starting to realize how much power they have. And very shortly, you're going to start them see them using other things, using it for other things, using it to say, you saw UCLA's football team say, we want an independent medical medical personnel at every practice and workout because we don't trust that the school is going to take care of us. We'll do, we're not playing unless we have that. That was a huge first step for other schools doing similar things. And then once you're doing that, then you can take the step to say, well, we're not playing unless we get you know, name, image, image and likeness rights and, and whatever. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll put a pin in that for now. I'm sure more to come and every week we'll have a new, uh, development for us to hit on that. So we'll, uh, we'll break here. And so coming up, we're going to look ahead to Trace Jackson Davis's, uh, second and perhaps final season in Bloomington delivered one of the best seasons ever for a freshman big man last year. So what's in store for the encore? We'll discuss that next. Stick with us. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Hi, this is A.J. Moye. What's the only thing better than upsetting Duke in the Sweet 16? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach for the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers! All right, thank you, AJ, and welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com, and if you ever want to join the chat mob during our unedited live broadcast or watch those replays and see all the between-segment banter, like the 10, 10 to 
15 minutes we just spent uh, talking about other things, uh, then check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assembly call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And uh, tonight we're going to circle back to on-court basketball and uh, talk Trace Jackson Davis. I think uh, as we maybe save the best for last, I don't know if this was intentional on our part or not, but uh, as we've gone through our, our player preview series, we looked up this week and Trace is the only returnee left. So wanted to talk about him. I mean, as a freshman, really successful season, 13.7 points, 8.4 rebounds and 1.8 blocks per game, had 12 double-doubles, six 20-point scoring games. Uh, I, I think by all accounts, everybody had high expectations for him coming into his freshman season, but I think he really exceeded those uh, for us as we went in. I know Jared mentioned that a lot over the course of last season. So, Coach, I'll I'll start with you. What what part of his game was most impressive uh, to you as a freshman? You know, I, I thought he, I was really impressed with his motor um, and, and his ability to go hard to the basket. You know, obviously, we'll talk about improvements later, but I, I thought he, he had the ability to score in the post. He had the ability to get out on the break. He had the people. You know the ability to uh, get the ball and drive a little bit in in a little pinch post action or a little uh, screen and roll action was was really impressed with his rebounding. Uh, everyone's free throw shooting can get better, but I wasn't disappointed with his free throw shooting. What was it high sixties? I believe. Um, I was like, yeah, mid sixties. I want to say like sixty five. No, sixty eight. Sixty eight point five percent. Yeah, sixty eight point five for a postman that that get better. But you know, seeing the double doubles that he had. Um, the ability to rebound. A lot of times young kids come in and they're talented in high school. They can score, but do you have that motor to go get rebounds? And I think there's a lot of juice left to squeeze out of, out of Trace Jackson. Obviously it's a pretty obvious statement there, but his motor, and I never thought he hit a freshman wall like sometimes happens. He might've had a few games where he struggled, but he bounced back real quick. And, And that, that is a skill as, as well. Do you get better within the season? Do you get better from game to game? Uh, are you able to shut down your slumps uh, quicker? The skilled, you know, If you're really skilled at that, uh, you can be consistent. And to score 13.7 points a game and uh, over eight rebounds a game, I think as a freshman, is just uh, incredible. Uh, and, and as he adds to his game, the areas that he needs to improve, you're going to see a, a relatively dominant uh player at the four and the five for Indiana. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I, uh, what it would impress me the most about trace was his attitude. Uh, you would see in games where things would not be going his way or he wouldn't get a foul call or something. And the next time down, he would demand the ball, go right at the hoop, go right at the guy who maybe scored on him on the other end and go right back over. him. I love that personality of player. You saw it a little bit out of race Thompson too. When, People would challenge him. He'd want to go right back down and do something. Um, or defensively, he'd want to step up and do something. I think the other thing about Trace is just his defensive ability on the weak side. I mean, the dude blocks shots like crazy. And, and you know, he had a couple games this year where he had four block shots. And, you know, like a handful of games where he had that many block shots. He altered shots all season. He was focused defensively. He had his breakdowns like any freshman. But for the most part, that dude was great defensively. Uh, another thing worth noting, I mean, there were there were a couple games where he struggled to finish in the post, uh, you know, a handful of games. But in general, he was great at, at finishing around the rim. I think he wound up, despite a few games where he really struggled, he wound up shooting 56.6% from two 
Uh, and that includes some long jumpers that he took. So he's a guy who scores around the rim and he plays really well around the rim. Now you got to work on, you know, stretching him out a little bit because I know he wants to make it to that next level. He's going to be able to going to have to hit a jump shot if he moves out. But I thought everything from his screen and roll defense to his screen and roll offense to his ability to just attack the rim like crazy uh, to own the boards. I mean, he's a freshman in the Big Ten to just dominate the re- dominate the boards in a game. Uh, you saw him do that several times. He's just a kid who who lived up to every expectation, as you said, and, and surpassed it. Um, I think that uh, given the situation on the team last year, where Indiana was a little bit lower scoring team, the fact that he averaged more than 13 points a game was impressive. Um, but, you know, you look at it, he had games with 16 rebounds, 15, 14, 14, 13, you know, 12, 10. He had 17 in one game. I mean, that's a guy who is – doing better than a freshman should in the big 10. And I, and I think that we noted that a lot last year is there was something special going on here with the way he is in the post, especially being six, nine, he's not a seven footer. He's not some, you know, an enormous guy with outsized athleticism. He's a great athlete who is undersized for a pure center and was playing a lot of pure center last year and still was able to dominate the league the way he did. Um, so, yeah, I would just say that I think he's he's one of those guys who's very special and Indiana's lucky to have him coming back for another year. Yeah, I and mean, really, when you look from a, a numbers perspective, a lot of the efficiency numbers uh, really are, are strong. Overall, 119.8 offensive rating, which was 89th nationally uh, for a guy who used a decent amount of possessions. That that dropped off as you got into conference play and then again in the, the tier A and B com- competition uh, as as Ken Palm defines it. But I think there's a couple areas offensively that you, you look at and feel really good about. One is his ability to get to the free throw line. His free throw rate was 57th in the nation, was third in Big Ten play at over 50. Uh, I think that's really strong. We talked about a little about the free throw shooting. I think there were stretches where he shot it really well from the free throw line, stretches where he struggled. And then you know the other is, is just overall field goal percentage. He was 56.6% on twos, which is strong. That dropped off fairly dramatically uh, was 48.6 versus the, the tier a competition. And, and that kind of leads into, you know, how he scored his points, where he, he ranked well, as we look at the synergy numbers. So coach, I'll kind of throw it to you after this, where he was most effective uh, was in transition, which I think speaks to the motor running the floor. Uh, those kinds of things was ranked in the 84th percentile of that. And it's so, worth noting, it's worth noting, like people knew he ran the floor, but that wasn't like something that was hyped about him coming in and he got better at that as a freshman. This wasn't something that he made his money on in high school, you know, scoring a lot of points in transition. He got better at that. So it's worth pointing that out. Yeah, it was was really effective at putbacks as well, which you'd expect for a guy who rebounds it so well. Um, good on the move, both on cuts and on on pick and roll as a roll man. And it's actually his one of his worst, uh, at least from a you know, rating standpoint was on post-ups. Um, and so I think that part is an area of, you know, getting a little bit stronger, knowing the physicality of the big 10. Uh, but coaches, you look at that as a potential improvement area, uh, you know, w- what stands out to you that maybe he can do differently, something that he struggled with last year. Um, Cause that was where the bulk of his possessions were used and where he was perhaps the least efficient. Um, so how does he, how does he improve on that for year two? He, he's got to continue to learn how to play angles uh, when you're posting up uh, to, to be able to drop step and get, get a defender on your back or to turn to one side fake and bring it back. But he's got to play angles. Uh, if you're going to be 
and when he struggled against the the better teams is because he couldn't just out athlete the next guy and go up and score. He was used to doing that in high school. Yeah. But he's got to learn to use angles uh, to get position if he's just going to be solid in that post. You also saw Archie do a lot of cross screening for him. Uh, you come out of the second half and they'd always run a little thing where they cross screen him just to one step out of the post, and then he'd do what I would call a Sigma move where he would reverse pivot, face the defender, sweep and go, and dunk on on the baseline. So that's on the move, uh, and Archie used him on that as well as the pick and roll because he wasn't as great uh, in, there, but he needs to get better if he's going to play a lot of that five at getting angles and getting prepared before the ball comes to him by getting an advantage instead of just catching and then making a move. You know, Deron Davis used to do that where you pound the ball, spider dribble eight times to get a shot. That's hard to do at times uh, unless you're just brute strength. So he's got to get better angles, and then he's got to get a right hand. I think a lot of times he was so comfortable going to the left that he might have had post moves going to the right, and and I don't – we don't have the stats on right, left, but I would imagine that when he made a move to the right, he wasn't as comfortable uh, early on in, in that freshman year. But for me, post play is about angles. The other thing he's got to get better at, Coach, is the double team, is, is getting out. of Now, he could pass out of the double team sometimes, but it's not about that. It's about recognizing the double team before it comes or when it's in, you know, starting to come. And you can either make your move quickly or get it out and get the defense on its heels, get the ball back, maybe make the guy run, the guy who's going to double you run a little bit. Um, so he's not there. He got doubled a lot in the better against the better teams we played because Indiana wasn't knocking down threes. And so, you know, the bigger teams doubled him more, the better teams, I, mean, I should say. His best him move was a quick spin. When, when a yep. guy's right behind you, his best move was a quick spin. When he tried to go through someone or up over someone, if he has more athletic or he has more size, he was very uh, successful. But against some of the bigger, stronger guys in the Big Ten, that's where those those numbers uh, dropped. And it's also a credit to the coaching staff that you moved him at, in certain places. And that's where yeah. Joey Brunk got a lot of that low post action at sometimes, and Trace got the action some, somewhere else. The other area where I think he's going to have to improve, especially if he has NBA considerations, he's going to have to hit uh, a jump shot. At, at his size, he's going to probably have to play more of a four in the NBA than a back-to-the-basket center you know, those are almost gone in the NBA. So he's got to stretch out. And I hope this year it's at least till 12 to 15 feet. It's got to be shoot a hundred threes, you know, um, and then you maybe develop that later, uh, depending on where, where he goes, you know, if it's after next year to the NBA or maybe hopefully a third year, but, um, you know, I, I think that's the next thing that you'll see is some pick and pops to 12 or 15 feet. And if he can knock down that jumper, Jared always says, look at the free throw percentage to see if a guy can shoot. I think he's got okay form, uh, maybe some corrections, uh, you know, um, with a higher follow through or some things if you wanted to nitpick a little bit on him. But 68.5 from a post player is not too far off from being able to shoot some some shots from yeah. appropriate distance. What I'd say is his, his shot flattens out a bit from the free throw line sometimes when his legs get tired. He sort of, instead of just flowing through his shot, he gets to the top and pauses and then fires. And that happens on his jumper a lot too. It's a jump and kind of wait and let it go. And if he can iron that out and make it more of a smooth one motion thing, I think he'll be fine. But the shot comes in very flat. Now he made some late later in the season last year from deep. And it was kind of like, oh, where'd that come from? But the form still wasn't great. It was going in and he got the timing right. But the form wasn't great. And the form is what leads to consistency. You can time a shot no matter how badly you shoot it. You can time a shot to go in. The form is what breeds consistency. And so he'll need to work on that. 
Yeah, it's interesting looking at. Uh, I did was able to look on Synergy for a few of the the numbers of, of things that you guys talked about. Uh, Coach, we talked about you talked about post ups, which way he turns. Uh, definitely turns to that right shoulder so he can get shots off with his left hand uh, on the vast majority. And there was a huge difference on the they, they break it out by left block, right block. Um, he was more apt to turn to that shoulder on both sides, um, but from the left block, there was a huge gap in how efficient he actually was and. Uh, in those scenarios. So I think just being able to it makes sense, right? know that they're going to, yeah, know that people are going to game plan for that and, and be able to sit on that and, and make some adjustments either with, you know, spins, drop steps, what you talked about there. Some of the encouraging numbers though, from a double team standpoint, these were, um, again, it's, it's up for debate how some of this stuff gets categorized, but these are, these are pretty good numbers either way. So said so the way it had, it was during pass out situations, um, where the defense commits, uh, he was in the 68th percentile, which rates is very good. And during trapping situations with a hard double, uh, he was in the 90th percentile. So I think those things are good. He did not turn the ball over a lot. The turnover rate was that was good, was strong. So I think that's good. And and really, where you look, yeah, you talked about spot ups. He didn't have a lot of possessions that way. Um, that one rates out relatively poorly because you know maybe they're just pitching him the ball, at, you know, late in the shot clock. He's trying to you know having to make shots. So. You know, I think being able to be more varied in his post moves uh, will be good. And I think spacing uh, helps a lot as well. He was really effective as the role man in pick and roll situations, but that was not something a lot of possessions got got charted at. And I think some of that is because of the spacing. I think the, up. the double team becomes easier with the spacing. And so a lot of those things as yeah. we talk about those, just it underscores, you know, trying to create other opportunities for him to, to score and do what he does best. Yeah, out of doubles, he didn't really fail much. Like, you know, as you said, the turnover numbers were low and things like that. It just didn't seem quick enough. You know, it's like he was more taking his time to figure out the right deal. And when you do that, sometimes you give up a scoring opportunity. So, so, uh, and you might get the ball out to the right guy or whatever, but the defense has time to recover. So it's about making those quick, instinctive decisions. Now, again, he was a freshman. You don't expect him to have all this down yet. Um, you know, the instinctive stuff and the reading the defenses, you're going to throw more complicated defenses at you in the Big Ten than they do in high school. So a lot of what he did, it's if you nitpick, you're, we're nitpicking here because he was a freshman, but this kid can play and he, he knows what he's doing on a court. It's just a matter of getting the reps and getting better and working on the little things. So I want to talk defense briefly um, because this actually surprised me as I looked at the numbers. The numbers in almost every case offensively rate out pretty well. Uh, at the same time, the, the defensive numbers on synergy are do not. Um, and I think Ryan, to your point, the, the block numbers look really good and he was able to do some of those things on the weak side, but overall he was in the 16th percentile defensively. And really, as you look down the list, you know, spot ups wasn't, wasn't very good. Post ups struggled was in the 32nd percentile pick and roll garden. The roll man was 28th percentile isolation was in the third percentile. Um, and so some of this, I don't really, you know, I don't really know when you look at half court defense was really bad against jump shooters, um, bad against catch and shoot situations. I don't know how much of that was him playing the four and just being mismatched in different situations. I, I, I tend to think based on how the numbers show up about essentially having to close out on guys who are shooting more from the perimeter, the yeah. post up numbers weren't great. Um, I think some of that was potentially trying not to foul a lot of explanations for that, but, but especially coach, later in the season when they needed him more, you could tell he was trying not to foul. There's, there's, a, there's an eye test that has to be matched with the defensive statistics in my opinion, yeah. more than the offensive ones because defense is played as a team and, you know, he got hung out to dry on guys a lot because of the bad switching. 
Yeah. So I think know. that, yeah. So I'm curious. And, and coach, bad, bad rotations. I mean, yeah. I'm curious coach to, you know, what your thoughts are when you try to, you know, kind of do what Ryan's describing you're, you're trying to mesh the eye test with the numbers that almost across the board don't rate out that good. Um, except for the block numbers. I mean, how do you kind of reconcile those based on how he played and what you saw? Uh, first of all, I think he had trouble guarding out on the perimeter. His closeouts were long and, and, and weren't choppy. And so he's going to get never driven. Had to his do it on before. the, yeah, never had to do it. That's the big point in high school. He was just down playing one man zone times, you know, when you're six, nine and can block shots. I, I think he had trouble moving laterally against guys trying to drive the paint. Uh, and, and in, in the, on the block is probably just strength and understanding again, positioning and angles. He probably got pinned a lot of times by really good post players uh, that knew how to get him in a disadvantage and then use it to his advantage with another year. Those things will get better, but the eye test part of it is fascinating because he was somewhat of a rim protector and, and and that can, you know, those, that helps when a, a guy's being driven or a teammate's gotten beat and you got a guy who can come and swat shots. And then also the rebounding part of it is a key part of defense too. A defensive possession doesn't end until the ball is rebounded. And if you have a guy who has a knack for going and getting the rebounds, that helps. So, um, and, and but he's a, he's a big presence. And then the, the last thing about the eye test is the kid played hard. I mean, it's what Indiana fans have been longing for with Archie Miller teams is to get those, you know, tough-nosed guys in. Well, Trace Jackson Davis is an Archie guy, uh, and he played hard. So what we ask our guys to do, if you're going to if you're gonna mess up, do it hard, uh, and then recover hard. You know, if you if you screw up a closeout or, or your guy gets driven, but you can go up and block a shot, yeah, uh, that's good too. And I know those, those numbers count successful baskets against him in those situations, but uh, you, you also have plus minus too. You're going to, you're going to play a player like Trace Jackson Davis if he struggles and gives up some points defensively. Cause he's getting a lot, uh, as long as he's getting more points offensively, but his athleticism helps his hustle helps. Those things will overcome some deficiencies in technique that he will get better at as he plays in his second year. And what's unquantifiable is how many points he wiped off the board from guys being concerned about getting their shot blocked when they drove in. Yeah. And it's unquantifiable. You never know. Um, but he certainly was a guy who, you know, uh, drivers were aware of when they were in the paint. Yeah. So, so Ryan, as we kind of wrap this up and and look ahead to next season, uh, what are your baseline expectations for Trace? Doesn't have to be statistical. Um, whether that's areas that you want to really see him improve in. What What are your expectations going into his sophomore season? I think he's got to, he's got to finish better around the rim consistently. I think that uh, as 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 coach said, he's got to start using that right hand more because teams are going to overplay the left. I want to see him become a little bit of a better ball handler and passer. I'm not saying bring the ball up, but you know, handle the ball on on the in the half court offense. And as you know, as far as being a defender, I want guys to not be able to go one on one on him. You know, when guys get the ball in the block on him and look over their shoulder and see his trace, I want them to get rid of the ball. So it's it's more of gaining strength. We talked about that last year a little bit. He got muscled by some guys, you know, because he's a little bit smaller if he's playing the five, uh, you know, and and just be able to move a little bit better laterally and and close out on guys because I think he'll play the foursome as well this year. I think if he and, and, and Race Thompson are on the floor, you might see Trace playing defensively, playing the four and Race playing the five because Race has a better base on him. And, and we saw Race defend some fives you know, late in the season and do really well on that freed trace up to do some other things. So I think, and it kept trace from fouling 
as well. It keeps him out of the, you know, uh, the shooting gallery of fouling inside. So just a few things to clean up. I mean, and just the natural progression of maybe being able to shoot it from a little bit deeper and getting stronger and all those things. Um, but I expect him to be, a, you know, an all Big Ten caliber guy, clearly. I mean, he was second team, was he, no, third team uh, as a freshman. I, I think he's going to be first team this year. Coach, what about you? What are you looking forward to with his uh, sophomore season? I, I think you'll see a slight increase in points, you know, up to 15, 16 points per game, and maybe more depending on what's needed. Uh, his rebounding will be there. Uh, and I, I would like to see him be able, on offensive side, be able to shoot 12, 15-footers and add that to his arsenal as well as what Ryan said about, you know, the right side and, and finishing at, at, at the, the rim. Uh, but the biggest improvement has to come defensively. You know, when he's if he's going to have to play some four in that, uh, that'll help Indiana if he can limit uh, the points scored, uh, uh, you know, by the guy he's guarding and, and still be that rebounder and shot blocker. So there's areas to improve, but he's going to be the leader of the team. He's going to be the go-to guy offensively. He also needs to be somewhat of a go-to guy defensively as well and be that overall leader for Indiana to be as successful as we'd like them to be. All right, well, coming up in our third segment, we'll answer your questions, including one about Big Ten rivalries and another from uh, Jared that was submitted in absentia. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot or an episode of The Assembly Call. Thank you, Jordan, and welcome back to The Assembly Call. Um, Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And remember, you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, even during the offseason, and after every game, we send out a detailed post-game analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. Time now for our weekly mailbag. All questions submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can find out more about at assemblycall.com slash community. And the first question that we have comes to us from Patrick. Uh, his question, imagine if the Big Ten decides to shake up conference rivalries and removed Purdue and Michigan State from our schedule for the next five years. Which team would you want to start a new or renewed rivalry with within the league. Ryan, I'll throw that to you first. Oh, geez. Uh, I would say Wisconsin, but we never beat the, we rarely beat them. So, uh, I'm not sure that qualifies under the guise of, yeah, of rivalry, uh, but all right. I no, I mean, just a team that <laughs> I have an intense desire to beat every year. I think Indiana, Michigan's a classic, you know, big 10 matchup. You know, it's just two, you know, classic big 10 schools. That'd be fun. Right. Coach, how about you? Uh, I think Illinois is sitting there uh, as a close uh, rivalry. Um, And and the other would maybe be Ohio State, again, for the proximity. Uh, That's where you would go if if Michigan State and Purdue were removed from from discussion. I think Illinois Illinois is the answer. Coach is reading my mind because, yeah, I think back to – and I guess a lot of it harkens back to, you know, kind of the heyday of of mine with IU basketball and and those – late eighties, early nineties, like those were always really intense games with them. And, uh, yeah, I'd go with, I'd go with those. two. I think Michigan was the other team I, I thought of, but yeah, the first two that popped to mind were Illinois and, uh, 
in Ohio State for me. The Nick yeah. Anderson shot. I mean, right? yeah. why, I mean why, really? why do you have to Come bring on, that coach. up? What do you, you know better. You, That's coach, why I want to play you, Illinois to get him back. Coach, so, coach burned through his optimism so early in the show, and now he's throwing out <laughs> Nick Anderson. That's ridiculous. I, All right. Yeah, when I think <laughs> Big Ten, though, like when I think of big, like the Big Ten, I, you know, growing up in, you know, in Southern California, and I imagine like when I'm thinking of the Big Ten, Indiana and Michigan were two of the front teams, you know, just because they were always good and they were always intense. And then they, whenever they played each other, it was always a good game. So I, that's, that's why Michigan came to mind for me. Yeah. All right. So next question from Jared, uh, coach, I'm going to throw this to you first. So I'll give you a minute to, to think about it. What is your lineup and what offensive set would you draw up for this scenario? I don't know that you necessarily need to do the lineup, but, uh, we're on the road in a big 10 game down to 20 seconds to go our ball at half court and trace has fouled out. So coach, what do you, uh, what do you do in that scenario? I'm putting the ball into the, the best point guard at the time. That might be Rob. It might be the quicker lander to make something happen. I want to go north-south off of a pick and roll, either go off the pick and roll or what I call a reject. You fake taking it off the pick and you go opposite the pick and you have shooters spotting up and you have a guy diving to the rim. That would be my quick, uh, quick set uh, without trace in the game. Quick answer. You give the ball to Christian Lander, have him go north-south. You set a ball screen you know, at the top of the key, let him go straight to the hoop and kick out, and you have four guys on the perimeter, and you may, you yep. let him find it. And you're down two on the road. You shoot that three and win that game. That's what I'm calling. You Absolutely. put your four best shooters on the floor. Christian Lander goes north-south. Everybody draws in. He finds the right guy. Three-pointers coming in. You're making it. All right. Who do you want, who do you want taking that three-point shot, Ryan, in your, in your scenario? Whoever's open. No, I, I, Jerome I, I would, Hunter right I would now. Say, I would say Jerome Hunter, Al Durham, and Rob Finnessy are your top three candidates for that, you know, however you want to arrange them. But, I mean, pick Hunter, and pop, Hunter, Hunter pick and pop with race, with race for the win on race the Race is the guy. So, here's the thing. Race sets on a the pick screen, and pop. Race sets yep, the pops. screen at the top of the screen and pops while Lander drives in. If he comes with a double, boom, race is wide open, straight on three-pointer. There you go. All right. I thought this through. We've sorted it all out. It's all right there. All right. So last question. We got a little bit less than a minute left. So just give me the odds. Uh, Jared put this question in under under the name everyone. Uh, will any college sports actually be played in the year 2020? Ryan, what, what chance do you give college sports of happening in any capacity in 2020? About 60%. And the only reason is because of the money. Logically, none. But the money, 60%. All right, Coach, we got about 30 seconds. So feel free to explore the uh, studio I'm going space about- in that time. I'm going 50-50, and I think it's going to be delayed. You'll see sports, college sports in January, February uh, after this gets taken care of. Yeah, I, I'd probably set it, I don't know. Ryan, would you say 60-40? I, I might say 40-60 on the other side of that that they get played. I, I feel I don't want to feel worse uh, as, we, as we go along, but I feel like I do uh, feel worse as more things happen. And so uh, I hope, I definitely hope that I am wrong uh, based on what we had talked about earlier. But that will do it for tonight's episode of the show. And uh, we appreciate everybody joining us. Uh, if you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for producing most of the music you heard on the show. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next Thursday night. Until then. Take it from me, Yogi Farrell. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go losers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, 
a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five.